if you've been here for the last several weeks, you know that uh, Pastor Mark has been involved in a series of sermons on signs pointing to Christ and some of the miracles that Jesus did that are revealed to us in the book of John. And so uh, even though we're not looking at a miracle in the sense of the way we usually think as miracles today, um, I thought I would continue in the Gospel of John as we look at a story from John chapter 12, uh, the week prior to Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, it may be familiar to some of you, it may not. It's a powerful story. It's a remarkable story. And so uh, I'm going to read from the text, which is in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Let us listen to God's word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. He kept a common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, as we listen to this amazing story, may we find ourselves somewhere in that story in Mary and Martha's home with Lazarus, there seated at the table with Jesus, enjoying fellowship and also being surprised by what is about to take place. May we listen to the word, not just with our minds and our ears, but with our hearts. And may we be willing to be challenged by the truth of this text. Through Christ we pray, amen. Some years ago, I remember reading a true story about uh, a large department store, a series of department stores in America. And uh, one of the things they wanted to do during the Christmas season was market a doll in the form of the baby Jesus. They figured they had a sure moneymaker with this deal. And the advertisements described it as, quote, being washable, cuddly, and unbreakable. How's that for a description of Jesus? washable, cuddly, and unbreakable. And it was neatly packaged in straw, you know, with satin and some plastic and so forth. The manufacturer even thought they would be uh, clever enough to include some biblical text to, that would be appropriate to the infant Jesus. So to the executives and the publicists and so forth of this great department store chain, they figured it's a surefire winner. We're going to make a lot of money at that, on this this year. But they were wrong. Didn't sell at all. And so in a last-ditch effort to recover some of their losses, as well as to get rid of the product and move the inventory, one of the store managers came up with this idea. He placed a huge sign in a prominent display window, and it read like this, Jesus Christ, 
Mark down to 50%. Get him while you can. And I thought, how American is that? In our consumer culture, Jesus is reduced to a product to be marketed for financial pro uh, profit. He's even marked down. And you can go places, and you can hear that message. And you can go to churches, and you can hear that Jesus has been marked down. And you can get him while you can. We sometimes do that, and a lot of times we don't even realize we're doing it. It's subtle. We attempt to mark Jesus down, shrink Jesus, manage or control Jesus with our limited understanding of who he is and what he will or will not do in our lives. And we get frustrated because if Jesus really is Lord as we believe him to be, then we'll always be frustrated trying to control or manage him. Mark him down, so to speak. Because his reality is large and ambiguous and wondrous and mysterious. And Jesus will never be containable or controllable. I will guarantee you that. Get him while you can. No, we don't get Jesus. He gets us. He finds us, if we're fortunate. He transforms us and he takes us to places that we've never been before. But that's hard for us because most of us so want a sure handle on Jesus and what following him is all about that we reduce him to that which can be understood or managed. And then our faith shrinks and we become limited in what we can know and understand or expect. And that's why rules and regulations and church traditions are always so appealing to people. They offer a kind of security and stability, that is true, but they also place us in control of our discipleship. But that kind of world is too small for Jesus. And just when we think we have him, just when we think we've understood him, he slips from our grasp. When we think we have him locked in, he breaks out of the boxes that we've created for him. He surprises us with what it means to be one of his followers. And this is one of the great texts that brings out that truth. Listen to it. Here's the story. It's a week before Passover, before Palm Sunday, and Jesus is in Bethany, and he's visiting his good friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You remember them. Remember early in the Gospel we read about Mary and Martha? who put on a little dinner for Jesus. And uh, Martha is doing what Martha always does. She's busy cooking and planning, setting the table, making sure the casserole is done properly. Is the wine there? Is it the right kind of wine that goes with this type of meal, meal et cetera, et cetera. And God bless them. We need the Marthas, don't we? We're going to need them on Monday, Thursday when we have our, our meal here together. We need Marthas, but we also need Mary's. And Martha's probably, I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming she's looking around wondering, where did Mary go off to again? She was helping me a little while ago, and now she's disappeared. And then here comes Mary. You know, when Jesus is a guest at any table, things always have a way of getting out of hand because the ordinary begins to unfold into the eternal. And here's Jesus who's being honored by Mary and Martha. Why? Because they are profoundly grateful 
that Jesus had just in the previous chapter and series of stories raised their dead brother Lazarus from the dead. Of course, that's not a good thing when it comes to the Jewish leaders and their traditions and their regulations and their rules. Jewish leaders, leaders who are the ever-vigilant guardians of the religious status quo, they can't have this young preacher, this young radical going around, strolling through towns, bringing corpses back to life. Not going to work. Not going to happen in their system. They've tried confronting Jesus. They've tried discouraging him. They've tried questioning him. None of it has worked. So now they're going to try to get rid of him for good. Are you surprised about that? Well, don't be too surprised about that. Because much of religion is about control. And it's about the management of an often messy, mysterious God in a threatening world. It's about trying to make sense of what appears to make no sense at all. And keeping God's spirit contained. We Presbyterians do it, don't we? Some of you, I know, are not longtime Presbyterians, but we're governed in our form of government by something called the Book of Order. It's our church constitution. And one of the things we like to say is that we are a people who do things what? Decently and in order. We have our rules, our regulations, our structures. That's not all bad. That's a good thing. It gives us, again, security and stability and a way to do things when it comes to... Uh, to living out the life of Christ in the church. When it becomes a bad thing is when it, we allow it to confine us, to limit us, to shrink God down to our size so that there are no longer any surprises. But you know what? Our text says that Jesus has other ideas. And during the dinner party, Mary did something that was utterly shocking. It's difficult for us to understand it in our culture. So we have to go back 2,000 years and recognize the culture of that day. As she approaches Jesus and sits before him, kneels before him, lets her hair down, pours some very, very expensive perfume all over the Lord's feet, said it was worth 300 denarii, which was basically a year's wages for the average person. She takes it, and in the eyes of some, she wastes it. She pours it all over his feet, rubbing the, the sweet salve on him, massaging it into his feet. Now, you know, a woman fixing a big dinner for Jesus, well, that's one thing. But her sister letting down her hair and doing this, that's quite another. You see, Jesus hasn't been in the room very long before the party's now out of hand. Mary goes far beyond what were the prescribed boundaries within male-female relationships outside the bounds of marriage. In the culture of that time, seeing a woman's hair, much let alone wearing it loose and flowing, was prohibited. It was not to happen. It was breaking the rules. It was breaking the tradition. It was doing something sinful. But not only does Mary let down her hair, she touches Jesus' feet, anoints them, wipes them. It's an act of absolute shocking intimacy. Horrific to the people who would see it or hear about it. 
Of course, there's Judas. Where's Judas when we need him? Well, there he is. He's known as something of a petty thief. He's the financial guy. He controls the purse. And he objects to Mary's act of devotion. What does he say? He says, what a waste. What a waste, Jesus. This is worth a year's wages. It could have been sold and given to the poor. Now, Scripture makes clear he doesn't give a rip about the poor. He's thinking about himself. He wants to make sure that the purse is, is full all the time. That we have a little reserve for the future. Poor stewardship, we might even be thinking, right? I mean, we're concerned about the stewardship of our lives, our resources. We're always wanting to be good stewards in the church. Again, that's not a bad thing. But just when we assume that we know how Jesus, a poor man himself, and an advocate for the poor might respond, yes, Mary, what were you thinking? Sell the perfume, use the money for the local food bank. Come on. He says something entirely unexpected. He says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's anticipating and honoring the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. So what's going on here? What do we see in what is an absolutely stunning scene? Well, I've gotten it down into two words. Extravagant love or lavish love. Mary had clearly been listening to Jesus over the months and years. She'd been taking to heart what he said. She believed him. She thought he was serious about what he was saying and what he was doing. She'd learned about him and his secret and his path from the way he lived his life. He was a man for others. He was called to a life of self-denial and service. Mary had heard this. She'd gone one step further and taken it to heart. He'd talked about his impending death. She'd seen her brother Lazarus risen from the dead. She knew what it was to grieve over someone's death. She'd also come to know Jesus, seeing and hearing who he is, what he's all about. She discovered what we know, that to know Jesus, to know him intimately, to know him beyond just our rational minds, but deep within our spirits and our souls, is to know God, the one with a capital O in whom we encounter and are offered extravagant, lavish love. You see, Mary's example reminds us that when it comes to following Jesus, we don't have everything figured out, and we don't have to have everything figured out. That's freeing, isn't it? We don't have to understand everything. We don't have to control everything. We don't have to have some big strategic plan with everything in place when it comes to following Jesus. We're asked to do one thing. We're asked to believe. We're asked to believe in him and to trust him enough to take him seriously, to stake our life upon him, and then be willing to listen. That's probably the hardest part, being willing to listen to him 
be open to the life change that he offers, and then take that next step of being eager to follow him and hear this wherever he might lead. Not where we want him to go or think he should go, but wherever he might take us. You see, we are challenged to invite Jesus into our ambiguous, often conflicted, messy lives and to let him sit among us as did Mary and Martha. And when Jesus shows up at our table, we may not know a lot, but we know one thing for certain. We know that we're in for a great adventure, the surprise of our life with all kinds of twists and turns and detours and unexpected experiences and events. So we better hang on tight to this, Jesus, and get ready for the ride of our life. The other option, shrink him down, control him, manage him, and only go as far as we can see and trust. Like Mary, we know that we can never, ever begin to repay the gift that is offered to us in Christ. Indeed, our only and most authentic response to God's extravagant love in Jesus Christ is to live and love extravagantly in our relationships and in our wider world. It's the only response. That's it. Now some people look at the life of Jesus. Maybe you've heard people say this. And they say, look at this good, moral, gentle, wonderful man. How he loved, how he served. His great truths, his wisdom. And look at how he was treated. His life was tragic. Some people look at Jesus and say, what a waste. What a waste. But we know better, don't we? And we affirm what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or rather chapter 2, when he says, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. You see, Mary offered Jesus the most beautiful and complete gift that she had to give, and that anybody would have to offer. Her costly perfume, yes, the very best of her resources, and her very self, and she offered them both lavishly, without reservation, because she knew that it was her only response. She knew that it was right. In this sacramental whole person offering, we see her passionate response to love with a capital L embodied in the one before her. We see a devotion that does not even hesitate to give and that does not count the cost or consider that it might be a waste. Now, is this passage inconsistent with our desire to provide for the poor? I don't think so. I don't think this is an either-or proposition. We're not faced with a choice between choosing either to pour out ourselves in acts of devotion to God or 
in acts of devotion to the poor. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Jesus reminds us, he says, guess what? You're always going to have needs around you. You're always going to have poor people around you. That's just the way the world is. But as long as we are motivated by our unreserved commitment to Christ and our desire to love and follow him with our whole self, then we don't have to worry about all that. We don't have to manage or control or separate into categories the recipients of our generosity. We don't have to do that. We're freed up from that. Some might look at how we use our resources as individual Christians or in the church as excessive, even wasteful. Why are you spending money on that? Why are you taking this project on? When your budget is running in the red, how can you possibly do that? And we say because God calls us to do that through Jesus Christ and it's the only way that we can live authentically as believers. Responding in extravagant ways to the extravagant God of love. Hopefully, like Mary, we're not going to be overly concerned with the perceptions of other people, but only concerned about being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes that takes us to places that we've never been before. You know, I just have to say this. We have our traditional Easter egg hunting up soon, egg hunt soon, right? Our pancake breakfast. It's going to be a great event. And in previous years, up till now, we've done it for our community and our local church here and any friends that people might make, and we have several hundred people that come, and it's wonderful. We have a great time, a lot of fun, and we share the message of Christ's love with everybody who comes. This year, those of us who are in leadership heard the voice of the Spirit nudging us and saying, guess what, you can do that, but you can do even more. You can be more lavish. You can be more extravagant. Why don't you invite not only people in your own church and community, why not open it up to people who don't have much joy in their lives, people with families who live in homeless shelters, like you did last Christmas under Jim's leadership. So we said, yeah, yeah. It's the only thing we can do. Are there going to be a lot of people here? Yeah. Are we going to have a good time? Yeah. Are we going to be embodying and living out the gospel? Yeah. We're going to be thinking about people not only in our community, but in our broader area. We're going to take seriously what Jesus says when he says, hey, give, love, serve. Reach out in joy, particularly to those who don't have much in their lives. Might it be a little messy? Probably. Is it doable? Absolutely. Do we know what's going to happen? A mm, little bit. Is it going to include everybody? Do, does everybody need to be here? Yeah. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity to serve, to love extravagantly. Not a waste, but a joy and an opportunity to live the gospel that we sing about and pray about and talk about all the time. 
You see, the gospel makes clear that God has given his very best for his world. God loves and gives lavishly, extravagantly. We call that grace. And guess what? He calls us to, quote, waste ourselves in his service as we seek to live out the truth that we see embodied in Christ. So I hope that I can remember and we all can remember in this Lenten season as we move closer to Easter and all that we celebrate on that joyous day that we may be looking for fresh ways to be lavish and excessive in our love, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our families, with people at work, with the guy at the deli, wherever we are, lavish, excessive, wasteful with our love. Because that's the way of the Christ who came, according to the Gospel of Mark, not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life, all of it, as a ransom for many. May it be so for each one of us. And may the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it might be, be known for its extravagant and joyous love. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness reaches to every generation. And you have loved us to the fullest extent possible. May we respond gratefully, joyously, lovingly, extravagantly, and faithfully. We thank you for Mary and for her example to us. May we not forget why we are here and who you call us to be. Through Christ we pray. Amen.